Hello and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? I'm oddly nervous, man. Same. I don't know what it is, but ever since we were tasked with doing this episode on The Winter Soldier, I've been stressed. And the way it happened where we were just kind of like trying to figure out what it is we were going to record this week and we're like, hey, let's just do Winter Soldier. It was, I agreed to it and then immediately was like, oh no, (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) So I had a a friend friend from work. You know Bruce Banner? Oh man. Yeah. (laughs) I've been been holding it back. Uh, But no, like a friend from work today was like, what are y'all doing next one? I was like, we're recording on Winter Soldier. And he's like, oh yeah, I saw that on Twitter. I uh, can't wait, you know, to see what y'all have to say about that. I uh, hope you don't mess it up. And I know he was playing with me, but I'm just like, man, this is so many people's top five that I was like, mm-hmm. uh, I might get sick and just like call in Fran Daniel or something to replace me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I. I feel that. I mean, you're totally right about it being the the number one favorite movie for so many people. But for me, like I, since we've done this podcast, like it's my number one. I love this movie. It's my favorite. So I know we're just like talking about it, but there's this feeling of wanting to do it justice. That was more pressure than I've ever felt taking notes for a show. Well, like knowing that this is the one you've seen the most, it has been like your top. I, there's a part of me that's just like, I don't have to prep for this. Trey's got it. <laughs> I'm just going to sit back and let him go. Like, just let him gush about his, you know, about his bliss and, and cap. So, well, thanks to anxiety, I've watched it instead of going <laughs> in off the cuff. <laughs> oh, oh man. Yeah. Well, of course, we're going to be talking about Captain America, the Winter Soldier here in a few. But one of the things we wanted to do here at the top of the show is talk Moon Knight. At the time of this episode, it will have been a week since we got the first trailer of Moon Knight, which we now know will be dropping on March 30th. So now that we've seen the trailer, uh, what are some of your reactions to Moon Knight, Jude? Moon Knight is a character I'm not as familiar with. And I, I was excited about it because... I, I knew enough about the character to say, okay, this is going to be awesome, or this is going to be cool or fun. You, you know, um, actually, put it this way better, it, this is going to be something different, it felt like. And then Isaac Isaac got cast. I was like, wow, he's good. Awesome. Yes. I think, though, your text to me said it best when, or, or like, I had the feeling, but you really put the words to it. It, it was so cinematic. Like, if, that even the poster, like if I didn't know it was a Disney Plus show, it looked like I was watching a trailer for a movie. The poster looked like it was something for a movie, and I think more so than any of the other Disney Plus shows we've gotten. Yeah, and to go out on that limb with you, um, you know, I've talked about this on my personal Twitter, but I haven't really said much of it here on the pod. But one of my smaller personal goals this year is to watch movies outside of the MCU, like more of them, because as much as I love it. If you just only have a diet of these superhero Marvel movies, at a certain point, you lose that contrast of something else. And so as I've been watching more, it's like I've started to realize like, okay, I see what the commonality of the look is of these shows. Moon Knight 
feels like it's breaking past that look in a way that I haven't felt in any of the Disney Plus shows and even in some of the movies themselves. Like, it looked phenomenal. Yeah. Yes. So I'm, I am really, really pumped for that. Um, and same, we're, we're doing that. Like just to take it there. I'm, I even have a note on my iPhone. And so I don't lose track because the goal is 52 non Marvel movies this year. Um, oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I wanted, I'm going to probably end up with more than that. Um, hopefully, but like just like one a week, one a week. And I, and Amity and I, we got our, our movie picked for this weekend. So, well, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, but again, you're right. Like it just, looked and felt different and, and i like the area that they're playing in it because it feels like man the talk of post in-game life is this entry into the horror aspect of the mcu like trying to create that side of the world that we haven't seen before we knew that was kind of the talk with dr strange and the multiverse of madness that's wavered a little bit but with moon knight like i'm almost positive he was beating up a werewolf like, that is a horror aspect of the MCU we haven't seen before, and I like that what they're doing there, as well as... And I, I want to be careful when I say this, because I do think there needs to be a cautious needle thread of how they handle the mental illness with, with uh, Oscar Isaac's character, but it feels like a very interesting place to play in if they can do it right. Yes. Yes. So... I sent my my friend Sean a tweet from not on Twitter, like I texted him, you know, shared the tweet with him. And this was this last Saturday, and it was the whole first tease to the trailer. You know, you had that really quick snippet of things, and he said that same thing. I'm pretty sure he's punching a werewolf, by the way. Yeah, and this was before the actual trailer dropped in the in the in the tease. Uh, and he showed up in like, what was it? I think the first issue is Werewolf by Night. Is that right? I want to say yes, because of the conversation that I had with JB Fancy in our Who is Moon Knight episode. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Um, it's so funny. I ran into a, you know, a, a coworker because, you know, I was at work. And he asked about Moon Knight. He's like, I don't know anything about it. He goes, he, had, he hasn't even seen the trailer yet. And super nice guy, super excited. And, and he, the, the Oscar Isaac draw was actually for him. Like, dude, Oscar Isaac's in it. He didn't even know Oscar Isaac was in it until I told him. And he's like, I'm, I'm sold. He's in it. And so I was like, I'll send you, I'll send you a couple of links so you know something about Moon Knight. And one of them I sent was you with JB. Um, and it's like, yeah, listen to this pod, watch this video. And I still, I read it, JB Fancy Pants. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did back then and I still do. So, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. JB, you're, you're coming back, buddy. <laughs> yeah, we need to get him back on, especially before Moon Knight, but for sure, whenever Moon Knight drops, we're, we're going to get JB back on because he's our resident Moon Knight expert. Yes. So, like we said, these were just quick reactions, but I don't think we can get out of this without at least putting this on the record. What'd you think of the suit? I liked it. I liked it a lot. Now, again, not I, I've seen a variety of different images, I guess, from the comic on this on the suit, from what they did, and I think the the way they went with it. Uh, again, not knowing fully how the suit worked, because I don't think I don't think in the comic, or maybe it depends on the run. It wasn't like it was something like body armor, something he wore. You know, I don't remember it 
I wasn't aware of it acting kind of like the way Spawn did, where it just kind of came on to him and off. Um, and even that's kind of a terrible analogy, but anyways but i thought it looked good yeah it's it's such a cool look to have it materialize on him in that moment which we don't i i'll speak for me i don't know the rules of it but based on the pairing of that one character that says something to the extent of unleash the chaos just allowing that side of him to come out it almost feels like it's its own entity that that takes control which fits into the space they're playing with the multiple identities um it's a very interesting visual look to 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 inhabit that. The only thing I'm not sold on, and I'm hoping that this is just something I need to see in more direct motion, I don't know if I like the glowing eyes. They look a little too piercing, and it feels distracting for me. I can see that, but what, what comes to mind, especially with this first trailer, is in very broad terms, for people listening, very broad terms, if you haven't seen Spider-Man No Way Home... And actually, it's interesting. You're going to see a different movie than I saw because visually speaking, because we know Sony went back in and touched up some visual effects, you know, and, and just made something sharper. It's, it's not like drastic changes to the movie. And, and all that to say, we know that that happened. So I'm wondering if the effects aren't actually done on the suit fully. Um, and we're going to see some touching up. And I can see that. Yeah. I mean, how often, like, I, I think even, again, using the same uh, broad strokes that you're speaking with in No Way Home, you can see it based on the trailers mm -hmm. and some of the color grading that we yeah. got in the initial ones versus the final product versus what people who haven't seen it yet will eventually see that's different from what we saw. Yeah. Yeah. So... That's a good point. Hopefully that'll assuage any concerns. And again, it's it's something, you know how sometimes some things are just better in motion? Mm -hmm. it, it was too quick of a shot for it to settle, I think, oh, yeah. for me. So. Yeah. It's interesting when, when you know, I'm just going to say this, cause, but I, I know we need to move on. But it seems to be that getting the eyes right in these movies can be difficult when you have masks and costumes. Yeah, right? <laughs> just, you know. So much emotion comes from the eyes that you just, you, if you don't get it right, it just kind of renders the the acting ability moot. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, before we move out of Moon Knight, uh, we did want to take a, a few moments to mention that, uh, unfortunately, there has been some sad news in regards to the show. An actor by the name of Gaspard Ulil, uh unfortunately passed away. This week, it was an unfortunate uh, skiing accident where I think it was a head-on collision, mm -hmm. and uh, at the age of 37, he unfortunately passed away. Yeah. Um, so that's that's something that we wanted to sure mention here, and of course, we'll link to the full story in the show notes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's uh, that's something uh, we'll definitely be keeping in mind as we get closer to March 30th when the show uh, airs, and we'll get to see the con contributions that this actor had towards that show. Moving on, uh, if you downloaded this episode, you know we're going to be talking about Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Uh, it's been a while since we've done a retrospective review, so just to set the stage, uh, there are no spoiler zones for this particular movie because it is one that has been out for quite a while, but we are going to be breaking it down into a three-act structure. So act one is going to take us from the beginning of the movie all the way to the moment that Steve Rogers is called into S.H.I.E.L.D. for questioning by Alexander Pierce. Uh, so Jude, starting with you, where would you like to start in act one? Uh, hold on. Pierce? Was that... Yeah? Was that Bucky's therapist? Is that really? Was that the same name? Are we doing... 
We're doing Captain America and Winter Soldier, right? No, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Uh, no, I'm just trust with you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a difference of a colon and an and. <laughs> you know what? And trust me, it has not made it easy on social media trying to promote this dang podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we have we have a new cap, right? Uh, <laughs> you know what? Here's where I'm going to start. Uh, and, you know, we put a call out uh, leading up to this recording to find out from people what was their, the, the first scene, you know, the first thing they think of, the first scene that comes to mind. You know, I'm with Earth894 Podcast. On Instagram, they posted definitely the very opening sequence kind of a calm before the storm and i i liked it like that whole sequence there just that calm you know this training not montage but almost kind of felt like a montage for as many times as cap lapped uh sam wilson you know and and, <laughs> and then we get black widow and then you know goes right into you know, Cap doing his thing. And so, yeah, so it, it's, I, I loved it. I, in, in terms of like how they started it. Uh, and I just, I just wanted to highlight that cause, cause that whole, it was like they, it's like they, they knew how to ease us into this really action packed movie. Almost oh, definitely. And, and it works on so many wonderful levels because like you said, it introduces Sam and, it gives personality to Steve in a way that the first Avenger and Avengers movie didn't really have time to do. Uh, you know, we talked about it a lot whenever we did our retrospective review on Captain America, the first Avenger, and that one of the, I guess issues is the word I'll use. One of the issues that comes to with characters like Steve Rogers is that you can fall into that pit of being one note. It is a character who has the burden of being right. Uh, and, I, and I say that loosely because, you know, it is still written by people, so there is the fallibility of that. But at the heart of who Captain America is, that's supposed to be the example, I guess, if that may be a better way for me to put it. So it never really leaves room for showing who this person is on the quieter side. And to have this moment of almost reflection where he is, you know, doing something for himself. He's exercising, he's staying in shape, and he finds that commonality with Sam. It gives us a glimpse into who the person is when all we have seen is the mantle. Yeah. And it's fantastic. Um, and again, and I want to say this too here at the top because this is going to be a, a, a reoccurring theme. And as cheesy as it sounds, friendship is the theme of the movie. Like in contrast to the conspiracy and the paranoia of who you can or can't trust, the people that you rely on and the people that you call friends, those are the people you turn to in those moments of doubt. And so even though we don't know it upon first watch, what becomes enriching on multiple rewatches, which I have done multiple of, <laughs> is you get a, a broad spectrum of how those friendships take place. You have that budding relationship with Sam and Steve and how they're kind of learning each other's comfortability with teasing each other. Mm -hmm. And then you have the established relationship with Natasha where she's like, Hey, I'm here to pick up a fossil. And he's like, hilarious. Like, it's just, it's, it, it is the driving force for the answer that we will eventually get to in the beginning. And the fact that it happens so quickly here at the top is, is brilliant. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting you mentioned that because you have 
the I would I would say you have the illusion of friendship with Natasha uh-huh. uh, as you as you watch in in the questioning that they have together later uh, that they uh, that Rogers has of Natasha as you know we get in later into the movie um, and so it, it it appears as friends but as you get you kind of see it's like no they're not as friendly as it as as not friendly that's the right word but they're not friends yet in, in that sense either so the, i think that's really cool yeah it's almost like you have to see it go on trial like we've yeah. talked about it before and I, f- I forgot exactly the way you put it but that's what relationships are you get to this point where you build up this person something happens that tests the idea of who you think this person is and you either grow upon it or it dissolves and that's what makes it special with steven and natasha that it does grow um, and so yeah. I like, I, and, and this isn't trying to refute what you said. I, I think it is important the way you framed it. That is, there is this air of like falseness to it that becomes stronger on the other side. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Like it's, yeah, this disillusionment, like, like you meet somebody and it's great. And you know, there, there's this element where a, a relationship should end naturally. Um, but especially with this, cause like it plays on our expectations. Cause we, the last time we saw them together was Avengers, you know, and so we naturally, oh, they're they're a team, they're friends. Um, it's like, no, they worked together, they worked well as a team together, but the the idea or the level of, you know, like like when she asked later, would you trust me now to save your life, or you know, or would you trust me to save your life, and, and like and just thinking about those things and and the pulling through, um, and learning how to trust each other. Like that is was really cool to watch. And you know, speaking of the other side of the spectrum with Sam, which is most definitely a budding relationship, um, you know, you have talked about it multiple times, and I've finally gotten around to doing it. I haven't finished it yet, but I started listening to the audio commentary track for The Winter Soldier, and that was one of the things the Russo brothers talked about a lot in that it was so important to get the relationship right with Steve and Sam because it had to be believable that in the moment of doubt when everybody is turning on Steve Rogers, it has to be believable that Steve would go to Sam. And that starts here in that beginning. And it is because of that shared military experience where, you know, we've seen so much of the MCU now, but this really feels like one of the first examples we've got of the outside perspective of what it is for the Avengers. And the fact that Sam finds commonality rather than like celebrity worship with Steve, I think is the gateway towards their understanding of each other. And it is a level of sincerity that might be one of the first times Steve Rogers has felt since waking oh, up yeah. from the ice. Oh yeah. Well, and, it, and it's interesting. Well, I've never picked up on this on, on this before, which was, I wish they would have came back. Like there was that exchange between him and Sam, you know, and, and we're, I think we're getting past, are we getting past our sequence of the outline with this scene? Uh, which scene are you talking about? Where he talks to Sam right before he go, right as the, the thing was ending. Oh, at the VA meeting? Yeah. Yeah. No, this is still act one. Okay. Like, I don't know why. In, in my head, I was like, "Oh wait, I don't want to jump too far ahead." But it's they, they didn't come back to that to that line, uh, or at least not explicitly. You know, w- you know what makes you happy, and and he's like, "I don't know," you know, and and that element of that character 
was that sense of which I, I just saw Steve in a different light. Like it was like, wow, like you're you're doing what you know because you're isolated, right, from this whole frozen in time thing, and so you can't really struggle to relate to people. And you know, so now it's like, what makes you happy? Is like, I don't, I don't know, you know. So I'm just going to continue doing this. Um, and, and like, that was the feeling I got out of that scene this time, which I don't think I've ever had it that way before, you know? And so that's something I wish they would have explicitly come back to, um, like even an end game, like I get, okay, you had your moment with Peggy, uh, Carter, but I, I wish, I wish somehow they would have worked that line and that thread back into it. I do think they try, uh, although it's not as serviceable as, and based on what I'm hearing from you that you would like. Um, and I wonder how much of that is us being spoiled by the expansion of these characters' lives that we get with the Disney Plus shows. Um, but the way that I think they try is, you know, when we get to the Lemarian star stuff, so much of the banter between uh, Steve and Natasha is that like, hey, well, what about her from accounting? If you asked her out, I bet she'd say yes. And he's like, yeah, that's why I don't ask her out. I don't, I don't have time. So what happens immediately after St- Sam asks Steve about like, what makes you happy? And he says, I don't know. One of the very next things we see him do is that flirtatious scene between him and his neighbor. Um, now, the reason I don't like this being the full answer to your question of why they don't revisit it is because it's such a very one note way of showing personality outside of the job of just trying to turn it into a relationship. But I think it is on the mind. It just, there wasn't time to fully explore it. Uh, but the thing that I think it reminded me is the line that he has in Endgame where he says, I finally did what Tony said to do and got a life. So mm. it's it's there, but you kind of really have to scrape the surface. Yeah. For it. Yeah. And well, see, that's interesting because I took that going back to the age age of Ultron, the end of age of Ultron. How so? Uh, just the, con- this, the, um, the conversation that they had with the end where it's like, Hey, what about you? You know, have a life and get out of it. He's like, no, I'm home where I'm at. And then he goes back in and with the new Avengers team. So I, I attached it more to, to that scene than, than right here. Um, and I think because it was between that, that I did what Tony said, Rather, this this is a moment between Sam and Rogers. So I do want to say this, though, speaking more towards the Sam side of this scene. uh, One of the things we got prior to going into this is a conversation that Steve had with Peggy. And Steve really opens up about that feeling of isolation that you were talking about and not really knowing what to do in this new world because he doesn't know if who he is aligns with what they are, what they have become, the the shield, the, the government, the military, whatever it is, whatever institution it is that he's trying to be a part of. And Peggy has that advice of that sometimes the only thing you can do is start over. And so... You know, I mentioned the neighbor side of it with Sharon, of him trying to have that relationship there. But I think him also going towards Sam is part of that starting over again. He's finally relinquishing the past that he was trying to cling on to and the people that he knew um, and starting something new with Sam as well. Because even when I say relationship, I mean relationships in a broad term. Uh, This is a person who is outside of their time, who's never had time to really process what happened with World War II 
into the Avengers into now. And so um, being here with Sam, I think, speaks volumes about who he is. And it stuck out to me so much that if there's any doubt, which there shouldn't be, but if there's any doubt why Sam Wilson is the next Captain America, it is in that scene here where he is leading that meeting with the veterans and he's showing that inspiration to do better, which is something that I've I've talked about loving so much with the Captain America character, because it's not just about the going out there and being the strongest or the toughest or whatever. It is compassion towards each other. And I love that Steve gets to look in on this moment because it's not a show on Sam's part. This is just who he is. Yes, that whole sequence with uh, the veterans was really good. But one of the things you've mentioned about that commonality um, I think also because of that commonality, that it helped Sam see Rogers as a normal person, right? Rather than like, oh, you're Captain America, you're an Avenger, you know? It's like, no, you were just like me. You, you know what I mean? Um, in the sense of service and and stuff. Because uh, they'd have to imagine in that world, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm taking some experiences of Hawkeye and reading it back into this movie. Um, Cause I'm imagining like people are going to recognize Captain America, you know? Um, and, and there's probably got to just way people were recognizing Hawkeye. Um, and so I, I feel like that was probably also refreshing for him. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, 100%. It's the, it's the, as it's genuine. Mm-hmm. It's sincerity. It's not the, oh, this is who you think I am. You are seeing me kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Well, you know, I love the way that you you phrased it as Sam seeing the person, because I think a, one of the brilliant things that this movie is doing is giving us both sides of this, of Captain America and Steve Rogers in Act One. And without a doubt, the Lemurian star mission, I think, is the moment that... Captain America got respect mm-hmm. because so so often, I mean, he was kind of like, oh, he's cheesy. He's Captain America, whatever. That moment he gets on the, the boat and he is like going around and, and kicking these people to the side and throwing the knife and flipping them off the side. It is a completely different tone than what we saw of Steve Rogers up until this point. And before we continue that conversation, uh, I do want to say this because this is something that I frequently brought up uh, during Falcon and the Winter Soldier and that I highlighted how uncomfortable the violence made me at times. And I was really trying to figure out what that was. Um, I think I've said it before, but I just want to set that context here for this movie as well. I really think that level of uncomfortability is a change in me because having come back to this with the intent of taking notes, it is something that I think sticks out to me far more than it did when I originally watched this movie. Uh, So that's something I think I'm trying to keep in mind as I evaluate these series moving forward. That's interesting Um, because my note was, and I'm just going to read it, just kicked a guy overboard, ha. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, You know, and well, and we talked about this with with the Disney Plus series. There's an an element in the opening with Sam that he was doing, I'm going to oversimplify it, just but he was doing a military operation at that point. Right. Um, where here Rogers was, he was an effective on a shield operation. 
right? And so I I think when you start talking about the level of violence and, and things like that, I think we I think it's okay to forgive that here in this situation because of you know at least up to, especially up to this point, let's say it that way, what we know he was going into um, a hostage situation. You are sent in by shield. You know you're going to engage a threat, and and so in, in that sense, like like that, I think is where we could say, okay, the, the level of violence is forgiving. Um, but you know this as well, listening to the director's commentary and and talking about that change in Captain America, the Russo brothers mentioned in this scene that they wanted they wanted him to have, I think what they called a knockout blow for each person. Like I got to get through them quick. They have to be down, not get back up. They wanted tight handheld personal stuff with his action sequences. Um, Cause they wanted to, to get that Captain America has been training more now uh, with shield. And, and this isn't your Captain America you're used to, if that makes sense. I think th- they talked a little bit about that in the sequence on the commentary. Um, and I think they did that really effectively. Mm-hmm. It is the evolution of the character. Uh, and to respond quickly to one of the things you said, I don't think we will ever get away from the fact that violence is the language of action movies. I mean, that's just part of it. And so I think there is some level of... I don't know if suspension of the disbelief is the right word, but it, it's just part of the language. Um, and I and I think you're right because the the language they're using here is showing, okay, Captain America, the first Avenger, here's a guy who's never been in a fight before who's immediately granted these superhero powers. He is a hero, but there's a little bit of unscripted chaos into the way that he's fighting. It doesn't feel organized. It just feels improvisational. Uh, Avengers, you start to get a little bit more of that strategic leadership role. But here in The Winter Soldier, you see he has been under the wing of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a while. So not only is it an evolution of the character, it is world building in that filling in the gaps of time between movies. Yeah. And also keep in mind when we really dove into the violence of Falcon and the Winter Soldier Versus here, like, like this movie is pretty straightforward. You know, who's good. You know, who's bad. It's it's the stand in for Nazis. It's the, it's the, here's your bad guy. You know, they're bad. I mean, there's even that line. If they're shooting at you, they're bad. And whereas in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you had, you know, the bad, so to speak, but they, they were bad in that, you know, you needed somebody for Falcon and Winter Soldier to punch. <laughs> like, like you could easily sympathize with them and what they were doing and why they were doing it. And we can question the means. And so, and so when, when it's like that, then it becomes very different than w- when you're, when you're talking about violence and the level of violence and, um, and, and what's going on because they're, cause they do have like, they went out of their way to have faces and stories um, and have people as opposed to, oh, you're a guy, you know, some agent with a mask on. Yeah, I'm going to punch you. No big deal. And, you know, speaking of the way that fights can be imbued with narrative, I, I do want to zone in on the one with Batrock, uh, specifically the one right before he goes into the room where Nat is and, and they have their fight back and forth. And then Batrock's like, hey, I, I thought you were more than just a shield. Um, you know, speaking broadly about Captain America, Steve Rogers, Captain America, 
his journey throughout the entirety of the MCU is really wrestling with who he is and how he fits into the systems that he allegedly stands for. And I think that's best summarized by the farewell letter he wrote to Tony in Civil War and that he puts his faith in people. And I, I that that takes him quite a while within the MCU to get to, but you can start to see it here. This is the next step of where we've been going, because in the first Avenger, you know, he was bred to be this perfect soldier and then ultimately was abandoned to be propaganda for the military. Uh, Avengers, he has that realization that S.H.I.E.L.D.'s been using Hydratech to try and even the playing field. So even, even in, in S.H.I.E.L.D. and in the Avengers, he's finding out that he can't fully trust them. And that is just completely obliterated here in Winter Soldier by the time we get to the end of the movie of who he can or can't trust uh, as far as institutions go. Um, so what I like about the Batrock challenging of like, hey, I thought you were more than just a shield, seeing him take off the helmet and, and putting up the shield on his back, it plays to... A little bit of that ego we talked about whenever we did our first Avenger review about how he almost plays with a bit of a chip on his shoulder. Um, but I also think it helps with what we were talking about in separating Steve Rogers from the Captain America persona. Uh, this is this feels kind of driven by Steve and less what the mission's supposed to be. And I think we have to have that divorce of character and mantle if we're going to get to the point of the second act where we really dive deep into the character to see where those lines begin and end. Yeah. I think that's really cool what you just said. Thanks. <laughs> one here's why I giggle. One of the things <laughs> one of the things I noticed about myself and watching this movie and taking notes is the evolution of my own thought. If that makes sense from when I first saw it to now, because the, the whole thought you were more than a shield. My thought was like, Oh wow. This, this to me is really showing a difference between like, okay. Sounds weird, but I want to, I want to qualify my statement first. When, when we're talking about, you know, any of these films, there is, and, and I mentioned it a lot, the vocabulary, the shorthand, right? Like, like the the intention the the reliance of creators, showrunners, filmmakers that you are aware of certain things. You know, like I saw a commercial for the iPhone 13, I guess that was absolutely brilliant. A uh, guy in the front seat of the car, and he's like, "I'm the main character because I'm the one in focus, and you're not." <laughs> and he's like, "And he's like, well, what if this?" And nope, I'm still the main character. He goes, but what if I was a killer? And then I became in focus. <laughs> and, like, and like, that's exactly what, what they would do, right? Um, and so we have that secondhand vocabulary because it's easy and it, and it helps us very quickly. Oh, that's this or there. Um, which is also very negative as well because, you know, you can go back and watch older stuff and you're like, oh, that didn't age well. You know what I mean? Um, now, having said that, not that I'm going to say this didn't age well. But for me, what it showed was the difference between how men are portrayed, you know, and in this hyper masculinity, because he was like, you thought you were more than a shield. And like you said, he took off the mask and did this. Whereas when that happened in Captain Marvel, Danvers, you know, because like Jude Law's character knew he couldn't beat Marvel. So he's like, 
Danvers, so he's going to try to get it to do a, uh, or get Danvers to do a, you know, one-on-one without her powers. And she just shoots him anyways. And it's like, I have nothing to prove to you. Like, you know, but it's, it's, it is a typical hyper masculine response of like, Oh, challenge accepted. Put this away. Let's <laughs> wrestle. And that, and that's what came to mind this time. Um, that I'd never thought of before. And, and again, it just, it is watching this is this time around is, is kind of showing the evolution of my own thought. Um, and how I watch this. Yeah. No, and I, I think that's a very great call out to to point out because that is so much of what's impactful of that moment in Captain Marvel. It's that realization like, I don't owe you anything. And, and she does her own character yeah. moment. And so that makes me want to reevaluate that <laughs> lens too as well. It's like, yeah, that is like very male beating my chest kind it of is. thing. It, it, it is. And, and, and again, <laughs> but again, I, I get the Russo brothers are trying to establish, like we talked about, right? Captain America has evolved from his World War II trainings and picked up these techniques. And this is a good way to show it. And you're relying on the knowledge of of the the guy playing Bat Rock is an actual MMA fighter, right? And so you're able to get that. But it was just kind of like later seeing that scene, you, you know, after the Captain Marvel scene and, and the things, it was just like, that's so just hyper male of you. Good job, Cap. <laughs> like <laughs> <sighs> Well, you know what? Because the the thing that I got out of it was that, like, okay, the focus of this movie is we are finding the line between Steve Rogers and Captain America and, and learning how to unify that. Um, I think that can move us into a, a different section here um, where, you know, I, I love how so often movies aren't really about what we think they're about. Like, for example, all the action stuff, that's just what happens. But when you really sit down and look at this movie, it is, and I use a, a lowercase p here, but it is it is a philosophical debate between Captain America uh, and Nick Fury in the way that they view how to adapt into this modern world. Uh, and, the, and the meeting that they have at the Triskelion, I think, is, is a great place to emphasize this because you have that argument where Steve walks into the office and he's like, you can't help yourself from lying. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it evolves into that point where Steve has, I think, a very defining uh, thesis in that statement, soldiers trust each other. That's what makes it an army. To which Nick says, the last time I trusted someone, I lost an eye. So we get a very definitive look of these characters who are going to undergo a change by the film's end. And I like that this is what it's really about, is how far can you trade trust for what's right? And with a character like Steve, what's right is always the driving force of his character. And with Nick Fury, even though he does have the right intentions it is what level of of trust is he willing to give up to ensure that the right thing is done if that makes mm-hmm. sense oh yeah like there there's it's well hold on i'm gonna get sidetracked really briefly and then jump back into the thought because you had a great thought there um for those everybody just do me a favor go join the discord and let me know if because Fury said, right, I didn't, you know, for the last person I trust, he, he, it's not that he trusted a flurkin. Like, he didn't know it was a flurkin. <laughs> he trusted a cat. Okay. And I'm just curious how many people, how, how many people out there are cat people? Get on the Discord. Let me know. 
Because between the two, like, I'm not a huge pet person, but I'm definitely trusting the dog more than the cat. And so, like, <laughs> I, I question Nick Fury's judgment and that his last person he trusted was a cat. Okay. Um, no, but I, I do like that you brought that out because it, it's interesting to me in that on the Roger side from, from what you were saying and from what I was gathering is like the, the there's a couple of things going on where for Rogers, he's like the, the importance and the trust is in the relationships in the community. And for Fury, you know, and you have the whole line and that's a nice line about the eye and stuff for, for emphasis. Um, but Fury really is in a position where he's like, that that he doesn't trust anybody, which means there's a completely breakdown in relationships and in community, you know, and there's still a sense of on his part, like at this point, he's, he agrees with Hydra's agenda, you know, um, it's like, no, I don't trust you. So I'm going to put a gun to your head and I can only trust me, you know. Um, and later in the scene, Zola, you know, the whole thing Zola said about what Hydra was founded on was, and to quote Zola, Hydra was founded on the belief that humanity could not be trusted with its own freedom. Like, at this point of the movie, that is Fury's agenda. Like, he's on board, you know. Um, and, and so it's, so it's interesting to me to, to, to see that. And it's like, oh, it's high, all of a sudden, like, Fury changes. Oh, it's Hydra, so it's bad. But it, but otherwise, it it really kind of aligned with what he was thinking. I got two things that I want to say to that, and I'll start here and lead into the second one. In that, if the beginning of the movie is a distillation of where Steve Rogers is and the way that he wants to lead his life and his moral compass, then I think the story that Nick Fury shares with Steve Rogers about his granddad is the distillation of his ideology. Um, you know, the the story about his granddad who used to work in an elevator and he used to get tips and people used to be friendly. And then as time went on, things got a little bit rougher. And so the granddad started carrying a gun. And he had that line that I love so much in that, you know, he says, granddad loved people, but he didn't trust them very much. And then it goes down to the Project Insight where he's like, yeah, I know it's a, it's a little bit bigger than a 22. That is such a simple story, but I think it conveys that level of comfort that we've developed with each other throughout history and simultaneously have lost. And so the thing that I will say about that is... I, I felt a similar place where you are in that it's hard not to have a stain on Nick Fury's character that he was willing to do this in order to achieve what he thought was right because it's sacrificing so much to get there. But you can see the logic. And so the thing that I wanted to also mention is that if this movie is saying that the Winter Soldier is the problem that Steve Rogers is facing in terms of being like a, a mindless arm of an institution, then Alexander Pierce is to Nick Fury what the Winter Soldier is to Steve Rogers. And I do think we get to a point where we can see a little bit of redemption on Nick Fury, but man, they bring us to some real low lows before we get oh, there. Oh yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to jump way ahead for a second and then backtrack to where we're at. But in terms in terms of Fury, you know, he was looking to salvage at the end. It's like, well, salvage and Cap's like, no, it all has to go down. 
Um, you know, so like, so like Fury's idea was still, no, people can't be trusted and I'm going to be the one that makes sure that people stay in line. You know, he's, and essentially he's like playing this, this, this judge of, of, you know, good, bad morality, you know, um, and keeping people in line. Well, and, and Fury tries to justify it because he pushes back whenever Steve's like, this isn't freedom, it's fear, which iconic line. But Fury's pushback was like, hey, you know, I read those SSR files and, you know, I you guys did some pretty nasty stuff. And I like that it's insinuating, OK, yeah, there comes times where there is compromises on the things that we tried to do. But the difference is, is that there comes a time where you put the weapon down, whereas Project Insight is continuous. And that is the moral failing of Nick Fury. Well, and I would also argue just the way Project Insight works, it is a algorithm. It is a mechanism looking for enemies. You know, so, so like in the, this first semester with my class, we, one of my classes was a peace and conflict class and we're looking at just war theory, pacifism and all these things. And that was one of the things I really tried to stress to the students that I think Captain America gets in that part of the conversation and Nick Fury didn't, which is, man, people get put in unbelievably difficult situations when you're talking about truly in thinking about decisions of war and battle and like in true war, right? Um, and, and these conflicts with horrific violence that people feel driven to do those things, but it's, and, and they believe themselves to be making the most moral choice possible. Now we can debate and get into those things, but I mean, but, but it's kind of like the, Hey, I saw what you did. And it's like, well, yeah, we compromise. Like we're put in a situation where I'm not choosing between a good and an evil. I'm choosing between something horrific and something bad, <laughs> you know? Um, and whereas, you know, Fury's just like, yeah, I'm that, that preemptive, you know, I'm going to keep everybody in line and, and, and you actually have a good choice. It's not like you have to choose between that and something else that's bad. And, and, and trying to make a, you know, the best choice between two bads. That's not Fury's decision, uh, or that's not the decision in, in front of Fury, but that's, that's the one, you know, he's, he's thinks he's making. It is rare. And even saying it this way is wrong. It is rare that being judge, jury, and execution executioner is ever the right answer. And that's what it feels like Fury's doing. You know, I think we can jump from here to one of the most, at least for me, this is the scene, you know, we put out that question on social media about what's the scene that comes to mind when you think of Winter Soldier. For me, it is that chase scene with Nick Fury. Uh, again, if so much of the thesis of this film is trust and friendship and how far you can go with that, the fact that this chase scene is a microcosm of what the film is trying to tell, I think is fantastic because... You watch all of the systems that Nick Fury has put in place slowly fail him. So you have that slow build of trust in that, okay, you know, what happens when the system that you're supposed to trust, like the police fails, and, and, and which hits extra hard given everything we've seen with the increased documentation of, of police brutality and, and everything that came to light with the Black Lives Matter movements a few years ago. Um, but it also moves into the, the section where 
Fury is in the car himself and he has all these gadgets and gizmos and the 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 ballistic proof windows and and you watch those slowly fail as he tries to back himself out of the corner and even after he ultimately gets away trying to get off the grid and trying to get in contact with Maria Hill, that's where we see the Winter Soldier come in. So what happens when you have nobody around to trust? And so you watch Nick Fury go from being the person with the most safeguards, the most compartmentalization to having nothing by the end of it. And even though he quote unquote succeeds in getting away from this car chase, he has ultimately lost everything. And it's such a nice little section of the movie in an action sequence. You know what? I'm 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 really glad that you explained it that way because one of, one of the things from the commentary, I, I love the commentary for this movie. Um, but as soon as I got it on DVD is one of the things I watched and I've been telling people for years, you got to watch this commentary. You got to watch this commentary. It's so good. And one of the concerns of the Russo brothers and uh, the writers was, well, a couple of things. First, it was cool that this is what they pitched. Like this scene is, was the pitch and what got him the job and their ideas. Like we got to match the car chase and heat. Um, I haven't seen that movie in a while, but I feel like they did it. But for them, there was a fear that, oh, we're going to introduce the big bad in winter soldier and he fails because fury gets away. But what I loved about the way you explained it is fury physically gets out of that situation but i wouldn't say they failed just that that the the position like you said they put them in where i who do i trust and i'm so alone and so isolated and they got to me right you know i don't think that you can look at it and say oh our big bad how how bad can he be you know how tough can he be because fury got away he he lost a lot in that you know you know what i mean and or just like you of course you do you just said all that but <laughs> um, I, I think, I think that loss, you know, there, I don't, I don't come away from that feeling that, that feeling of like, oh, you know, Winter Soldier is not that bad, you know, cause, cause of how close they got, how much he lost. You know what I honestly think of a lot? And I, and I reference this so much, but it's that scene of all movies. It's that scene in 300 where Leonidas throws the spear and he just grazes Xerxes and all he does is makes him bleed, but you see the horror on his face. He didn't have to kill Xerxes. He just had to make God bleed. And I think that's what this is in that moment with, as dramatic as I'm framing it, that's what it is. You have stripped the person who is supposed to be unflappable. And now he is, is as, as they put it on the commentary track, playing from the back foot. And that is the that is the success of the Winter Soldier here in this moment. You know, it it is interesting. You mentioned the Black Lives Matter movement and and the it's weird. I want to say the heightened awareness, um, but that's I don't think it actually accurately captures it because I think there's been the awareness of race and those issues for a long time. It was just you know when was majority of people gonna notice um but that's been going on for for a long time anyways um but it it did make me wonder you know watching this scene now that is something that came to mind it was like oh here's a black man with a police officer here and stopping him and then the police in police cars they weren't in shield cars like intentionally box him in and try to get at him. Um, and that definitely made me see the scene differently. Um, 
and and I don't know. And, and I'd be honest, like I from the books I've been reading lately and stuff, like I've had that like this has been very forefront in 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 my mind anyways. Uh so it could be some of that as well, just from where my headspace has been, uh in terms of what I've been doing. But yeah, like that did really jump out to me. Yeah, that that's why I was very conscious of framing it as the increased documentation because to say that this is something new would be an entire disservice because it's not new it's just now we are paying attention and unfortunately it took this long to pay attention and to speak for me that's a personal failing on me because i have been trying to be more cognizant of it and learn and it was something i wrestled with bringing up at all because it feels weird to talk about something so serious with something so trivial as a Marvel movie. But as prescient as this movie has become and the subject matter that it has taken on, I think it it was definitely worth mentioning, not only for my own continued education and hopefully pushing that forward, but just showing that this is, I think it is intentional and on the mind of the movie. Um, and it's something that I know as a personal failing that, should have stuck out to me way before everything that happened. Uh, so it, it, it felt important to to bring it up here. Okay, I'm going to shift gears a little bit because um, it feels like an appropriate place to shift gears. Um, still the same scene. Uh, two things. It would have been cool for me if they would have brought back the little torch lightsaber thing. Um, <laughs> I know they did in this movie. I'm talking like that's a really cool gadget, That having that show up in future movies. You know, it's like, hey, we have a really cool gadget. And uh, I'm done. It's not going to help us in the Civil War. It's not going to help us in, you know. Um, who knows? Maybe that's what Cap and Natasha use to get people off the, the raft prison thing. And there's a trope I would like to have go away. And it happened okay. in this movie. Nick Fury's on the phone with Maria Hill. And she's like, hey, give me four hours. And he's like, you have three. And I'm like, uh -huh. I get you're expressing urgency. But come on. <laughs> like, Maria Hill's a professional. She knows what she's doing. She needs four hours, right? Like, yep. like I don't, you know, I don't know what the extra hour early is going to get you. I just, yeah. it's like, stop, you know, it's, stop it. Listen, that's what we need to do this year. We need to keep a running list of things we want to see stop being used as a trope. For me, it was in, in, Ah, I can't say it. We don't have a spoiler zone. Never mind. <laughs> so go listen to our, our Hawkeye if you want to know what yeah. I want to see gone. But, uh, you know, I get what you and mean. We're not going to tell you which episode. You got to listen to all of them. Go find it. That's marketing, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's our own project insight. <laughs> <laughs> By holding a podcast, everybody said. <laughs> Oh, man. Now, all I was going to say is, like, I get the sentiment. It's it's the same thing of saying, like, I need it yesterday. But it, it is overdone at this point. So, you know what? I, I think I'm behind you. I, I can see it be gone. Awesome. It, I need you deep shadow. But I don't want you to... I want you to do it so quickly that people will notice that you've disappeared <laughs> rather than casually. Come on. Maybe Nick can take a, a few lessons on uh, a few lessons from Natasha and escaping public eye. Hey, that's right. When we're <laughs> trying to get away, walk, don't run. Yeah. Because you might trip. You know, there's a part of me that almost feels bad for framing this as 
a debate between Nick and Steve because we see pretty quickly that Nick Fury gets humbled to the point that we see him allegedly die. But the thing that I think so outstanding about their interaction is, you know, you have Steve coming home to his apartment and it is a bit of an ominous scene because there's music that's being played that he didn't leave. And you have that whole interaction where Nick Fury eventually reveals that he had Steve's apartment bugged. And Steve Rogers is unfortunately the only person that Nick Fury can trust at this point because all of his fail safes have failed. Um, and there's a moment where after the they're speaking code, Nick Fury says like, oh, the only people who know are just me and my friends. And, and Steve goes, is that what we are? Nick Fury has that response that is, it's up to you. And the thing that speaks volumes to me with that interaction is, you know, so much of what I've learned of, of trust, because I'll go out on that limb and just speak broadly here. I have trust issues. Like that is something that I've struggled with and, and trying to do better. And one of the things that I have learned is that trust isn't the complete confidence in the infallibility of someone and the way that you put your trust in him, but the ability to create those boundaries and repair them upon breach if that does happen. Um, and so having Nick Fury say, that's up to you, I think is beautiful because so much of what Steve Rogers thought he can trust in that moment is being tested here. And we know Nick Fury's trust has been long gone. So it is this almost dramatic irony that the person who cannot trust is turning to the person that is the only trustworthy person. And the lesson that he's instilling in him is don't trust anyone. So you have this baton pass of the journey that Nick Fury couldn't overcome given to Steve Rogers. And we are now having to wrestle with Steve Rogers questioning who it is that he can trust. And to go just a little bit further on this is, again, I set it up in that so often characters like Steve Rogers are written to be, quote unquote, you know, the right thing to do. The The interesting thing you can do with these characters outside of showing the ways that people around them change is showing that that redefining of who it is they are and i and I've, I've tried to set that up in the the speaking of the delineation between steve rogers and captain america but this is the moment that those personalities have split and our journey begins here and the thing I like is in this moment, when you see Steve pick up the shield, it is the red, white, and blue shield. And it is not that stealth one that I think is so symbolic of who he was with shield. But this is a character who has now picked up the quest to figure out who he is and what it is that trust means mm -hmm. to him. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And it, the first thing that happens, you know, well, it go back to the we talk about it and you love it, the story circle, right? Hero's journey. And you have the mentor that sits them off on the journey and they hand them some kind of talisman or like, like something. And, and Fury gave him an object, you know, um, that, that he had to go and, and run with. Um, but then on top of that, the, the wrinkle they throw in is agent 13 busts in. Hey, I'm agent 13. I'm here to protect you on whose orders and his and it's fury so it's like you have this conversation you know are we friends 
you know, the response that's up to you is like, it's your choice. Like, you know, that because it is that thing of like, when you trust somebody, it is your choice to trust them. Right. Like, like it's your trust you're placing over. And the first thing that happens is, Oh, I've been, I, I've been being spied on by the person needing me to trust them, but also telling me not to trust anyone. Like, like it's, it's such a, a, a clever, I think wrinkle, um, that I think maybe gets overlooked a little bit, you know, and because we just maybe as an audience just assume, um, we know who Nick Fury is, you know? Um, and, and so it's like, uh, obviously you can trust him as Nick Fury. Um, but if you, like you said, if you put yourself in Roger's spot, uh, and, and think of it in those terms, it tracks. Rogers isn't quite sure if he can trust him. Um, and, and that was also part of the whole opening sequence and, and setting that up, uh, the busting in of, I mean, if you did that same thing, right without agent 13 busting in and let's say rogers is the one that makes the call to emt and then chases um i think it's a completely different dynamic and that's it is such a small moment mm-hmm. yeah it, it's it i mean it's the same thing that nick fury goes through it's the, the everything around you falling apart and so even the things that steve thought was real it, this is where it begins with with agent 13 coming in you can't even trust that small interaction so what is real in this life that i have been living You've been wondering that all your life, Trey. I'm telling you, trust <laughs> issues, man. And so there's two things that I want to cover here branching off of this. You know, I, I highlighted how it is picking up the shield that is the start of this journey for Steve Rogers. I love that moment, o- other than it just being a really cool moment. But when he chases down the Winter Soldier and he throws that shield and the Winter Soldier turns around and catches it outside of just being a cool way to establish this character, it is a... a narrative imbued action sequence that says i know this is who you are trying to be but you are not ready for this and so even though the shield is the first thing he picks up the fact that it gets tossed back to him it's like come back to me when you're ready kind Mm -hmm. of thing oh yeah um in fact i just take a moment real quick on twitter our friend ellie from the o shoot podcast uh in fact speaks to my heart actually um (laughs) because <laughs> instead of actually saying what it was, uses a GIF uh, of that moment, Bucky catching the shield on the roof, because um, it is such an iconic mm-hmm. moment. Um, but you're right. It is like, yeah, come back to me when you're ready <laughs> kind, kind of moment, yeah. which is not something <laughs> Rogers has had to to, to face. R- really? Yeah. I mean, against Red Skull, I guess. Um, but beyond that, he hasn't, you know, I mean, yeah, okay, there's Atari, but like... It wasn't a one-on-one. That was more numbers, if, if that makes sense, where it was like, oh, this is an equal. Um, so and that's much different. To that example, you know, we, we talked about Red Skull and the Chitauri. I mean, that is the one-note nature of Steve Rogers. He is good. He is strong. He is the, the good guy. But what they have done here in this moment, or at least what I read in it, is because Steve Rogers is now questioning who, you know, this is who the world sees me as. Who am I and who do I want to be? And that is what he's left and armed with. And so 
you know, it, it's what I was talking about, the irony of Nick Fury passing this baton to him of trust. And then the next scene we get is in the hospital scene where even Natasha's questioning, can I trust Steve Rogers? So not only have they narratively taking down the infallible structure of Steve Rogers within the audience's perception, sort of, but also within himself of like, he's having to trust, like if he can trust Natasha. And I feel like I've said trust a lot, so I'm going to stop it there. <laughs> yeah. So this movie is about friends and trust. It's not about yeah. family. All right, Vin. I've never seen a single one of those movies, but okay. So, and my buddy, Jonathan, when he gets around to listen to this, who loves that and not like he's like, oh, he's a cinematic masterpiece, but like just loves it in terms of um, just fun. And like, I'm in, I've, yeah, I've never seen a single one. But in fairness, he makes the mistake of thinking The Dark Knight's better than Batman Begins. So anyways, we're going to move on from here, but I just <laughs> want to point out, I think that's a pretty widely held belief a lot of, among a lot of people. That's unfortunate for them. Not <laughs> I just wanted to make it sure because you you made it sound like he's in the wrong for believing that. I think a, a lot of people would use that as a bolster to his point. But I can also, because I agree with you, I think narratively Batman Begins is probably yeah. better. But I just want to make sure. But just because the majority <laughs> thinks something doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> I don't think it's the discredit to his belief that you think it is. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> God dang it. Do we have to keep this in now? <laughs> You're editing oh, this week. Oh, man. I know. This is going to be fun. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for the first act of this movie. So we're going to go ahead and move in to the second act. Now, this one is going to take us through the meeting that Steve Rogers has with Alexander Pierce, all the way through the moment where Steve, Nat, and Sam are arrested after the bridge fight scene. So starting with me this time, I think the obvious place to start here is that meeting with Alexander Pierce. You know, we talked about it a bit in the first act of this uh, movie that Alexander Pierce really is the embodiment of the things that Nick Fury was wrestling with. Um, and I think what they do that is is commonplace now, I think, with praise that we give Marvel and their villains. But at the time, I think was a little uh, it was more special because it felt like it wasn't as commonplace. But you really get to see the ideology of Alexander Pierce and see that even though he's wrong, this is something that he believes full-heartedly. And it is even something that he doesn't see as wrong. He truly believes that he is bringing order. But that speech he gives about, like, you know, Nick Fury is my friend. And to think the people that murdered him could be happy today and because it just makes me sick. And then going on to talk about, like, you know, people will call you dirty because you're willing to put your hands in the mud and, and do what's right. Like, all this is is talking the talk like he's showing that he wants to be the good person but the slow uncovering of the reality of the intent i think is what makes him such a compelling antagonist here well and, and again i mentioned it earlier in, in a way fury and pierce are very similar in in terms of that i that idea of what it means to protect others and the things you need to do to do so um you know, and I don't know why. What's what stick? Also, what sticks out to me with Pierce is, I I wonder 
and this is so weird because I, I agree with you of the backstory that like we we're getting this here. Um, it was such a, a good villain. I think, you know, Robert Redford did such a great job with it. I, I do wonder what made him join Hydra, you know, like, like what was that shift that said, yes, this is, you know, I'm, I'm all in here because clearly for me, if, if Pearson Fury are very similar ideology wise, but Fury's not Hydra and Pierce is. So like there was something that, that triggered that conversion, so to speak, or over this edge to, to go full on Hydra. And as close to friends as they said they were, you didn't bring Fury along. So like he knew something about, about Fury. And, and that would be something really cool for me to see, maybe to explore. I don't, I don't know the best way to put it. Not that I'm asking, let's go back and have a series on Pierce. Um, you know, I'm not not saying that, but it is. But it is for as much information as we get, um, especially. You're right. Up to this point in the MCU, like it was a really well developed villain. You know, I'm curious. So, like, what pushes that person? Like, what what was the thought process there, or or even like what was in the mind of the writers and the Russo brothers? You know, and uh, when they thought, oh, this is the way this person would go. You know, I really think it is because, I mean, if you listen to the way they they talk about their mission, it's like the world is on the balance between order and chaos and we're going to give it a push. Like they genuinely believe that what they're doing will bring order and it'll bring peace because they do not, like Loki, believe that people can maintain their own happiness and their own peace, that it is something that has to be instilled to them. And so I don't think it's something that happens overnight but if you keep operating under this belief that i have to go to these extremes to justify the ends eventually you stop being shocked by what the extremes are and i think that's like it's just it's a a a, a point of no return that i i be that becomes indistinguishable for the person yeah talking about extremism two things come to mind um which order do I want to take it? First, a, a quick clarification on one of my thoughts and something you said about Loki. Um, and it, again, it ties to, to this extremism thought was, you know, wondering about Pierce and that switch to, to have that attitude of like, we can't trust people, right? We, we have to subdue people. They can't have this freedom because they can't be trusted. You know, Loki's Loki. He's a, you know, a trickster. But for Pierce to do that, you know, he's really elevating himself above the rest of humanity, right? And putting himself in that position of like, I am judge. Uh, and so that's a really interesting place to like, how do you get there as a person to say like, I am the one who to decides that. Um, but man, when you, when you think about the extremist view, there's tons of examples that we could think of that are extremist views. Um, especially if he's thinking in terms of military action, like, like, like that's what he does, right? Um, in, in this, in this world of security through might. And, you know, one, one of the, when you're talking, one of the first things that came to mind in terms of extremist was, um, you know, I talked a lot about with one of my classes, uh, General Curtis LeMay from World War II and, and, and his involvement in his shaping of the U.S. Air Force and, and those types of things. 
and he was almost pretty like maybe a notch less extreme than the UK guy. I can't remember his first name, but it's his his um, nickname was Bomber Harris, and you know for him it was total war. Like there was no such thing as a non-combatant. You know, like you in some way as a civilian supported the war effort. So therefore I could bomb you. And there were, you know, and, and, and you have, what was it? The fire bombings of uh, Dresden, um, which was just horrific. And LeMay later with the fire bombings of Tokyo, um, before we even dropped the nuclear bombs, which were just horrific. And, but it comes from that extremist view of, Total war, nobody's a non-combatant, and this is what gets results, and we need results. Um, and so, and so like we've, it, so I just find that it, that that interesting is it's it's there in this movie, but like, man, we we've seen it so many times as well throughout human history. Yeah, and and again, I, like I said, I it was interesting. I was listening to the audio commentary today, but I had only finished half my notes up until that point. So after it got past where I had taken notes, I stopped because I didn't want it to influence um, what I was interpreting from the movie itself on a on a cold watch. But the thing that I think was present on their mind when they were going into this movie was a lot of real world inspirations they were taking from both from movies but also this idea that if okay we're going to do a political thriller how can we instill some of those real world examples into this fictitious world um so i'm, I'm glad you found a way to highlight that uh that echoes here what they are, are focusing oh yeah on. well and, and i remember when it came out um, it was super timely in the Edward Snowden uh, stuff that you know, like, like, came out around the same time. The the things that he brought to light, and it was just really interesting to me because this was written and in filmed and in production way before that happened. It just happened to you know to be timely in that way. Um, you know, and, and people were making that connection, but we're like with the extremism, I mean, we, we find that all over the place. You know, I, I do have a question for you because I've, I've talked about it before, how this movie is, is one of my favorites because it will forever hold that revelation with Bucky for me, which is something I don't know how I got all the way to the end. But I, I think it just demonstrates how sucked into the movie I was and was, and was just letting it be in front of me as I was watching it. Were you picking up on Alexander Pierce by this point, or were you still questioning who you could trust? And I'll set the stage by saying, like, obviously you can tell something's up with Alexander Pierce, but I can't help within the same act, but think to that scene of what that revelation is whenever the Winter Soldier is in his kitchen, and the scene goes from like, oh, is he in trouble, to oh, he's familiar enough to do the joke about the milk to watching him cold blood murder somebody. And I just remember thinking like, okay, I know this is not a good character, but the extent to which he goes, I remember just being a shock to me. And I, I'm wondering if that's just exclusive to me letting the movie be or what another perception of all of this character was. I'm trying to remember back. When I first watched it, I don't think... Yeah, like I think I was suspicious, but I don't think I was convinced until that scene. You know, now 
getting Robert Redford was a huge get. I remember that and 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 that was a big get and you know, and he had played spy thriller roles before um in other movies. Um and so so in in that way that that was kind of a nice um thing thing to see and maybe maybe a tip off but no i i wasn't fully sure until he until he shot renata yeah what i mean it's in a movie that we're supposed to question everything it is it is and maybe this is the benefit of hindsight but it is fantastic that they can make a character like pierce with some pretty extreme values still be on that cusp of of where he is falling uh within the role mm-hmm. of this movie. Yeah. So it feels like we're getting pretty close to the infamous elevator scene. Uh, but I do want to take some time here to step back and set up a character we really haven't spoken about at all yet, and that is Rumlow. Uh, Rumlow is a fascinating character to me because in the beginning of the movie, you see that there is this working friendship between Steve and Rumlow. Uh, you have that playful banter at the beginning where Rumlow has shot the uh, pirate and Steve's like, hey, thanks. And he's like, yeah, you seem pretty helpless without me. Um, the way that we watch the falling out between these two uh, and, and especially leading into the meeting with Pierce in the aggressiveness in which he's like, hey, they they want you in for questioning. And Steve's like, OK, yeah, he's like, they want you now. And Steve's like, all right, you the slow grow of tension between them two is such a fantastic buildup to this moment where he ultimately betrays him here in the elevator. Um, and I got one joke before I throw it to you, you know, it's, I wonder how much Hydra would still be secret if they were so much better at being subtle because all those nervous men getting mm-hmm. into that elevator was so funny to me and in, in different yeah. hindsights. Now that we know how that plays out. Yeah. Well, look, <laughs> I'm imagining not Rumlow, right? Because Rumlow is full on Hydra, right? Like he he's bought in. I'm imagining some of those other guys are just like, yeah, whatever. The pay's good, you know. I have I have this skill set because uh, I just got back, you know, finished my finished my tour, and uh, this I'm getting recruited here, and I need a job, and now you want me to do what? <laughs> okay like like I'm, I'm just imagining like like one of those other guys was like yeah we need you to like trap captain america in an elevator <laughs> and it's like what you do you want me to get in an elevator with cap like i can't i can't get away oh, don't worry don't worry we're gonna we're gonna send a bunch of other guys with you <laughs> it's like okay and yeah magnets. Like, oh my gosh <laughs> Well, to to go even further in the commentary track, the writers and directors specifically said that that the inspiration for that scene is what would it like what would it be like to send ten highly trained men in a cage with a gorilla, and that is the what they are trying to convey. So. I guess they nailed it because I too would be nervous, but man, Rumlow's poker face is terrible where he's like, Hey, uh, you want me to go send out the tag team? And then, uh, Steve's like, no, let's, let's wait to hear back from forensics first. He's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) Now it was, it is a fantastic scene. Um, I think 
man, the only thing that's ever come that close to doing it that well was Teen Pelton and Community, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like it, it was, it was, it was great. Like, and, and, and well, I think what was so great about it is is how believable it felt of because because you had the the so many people in there like if he just went through them and it was no big deal but to have to fight off the magnets to have the struggle to be one point one-handed like it, it they did such a good job of making it believable yeah, it makes sense why, again, when we put out the question on social media, uh, Sean from Caption Life and Ben.Matty both referred to this scene as one of the first memorable scenes whenever you think about Winter Soldier. And, and I mean, it's with good cause. Um, you know, I personally, coming from the angle that I always come from with Captain America, to me, uh, the, the thing that makes it so special is even though Steve Rogers has been pushed to this perspective in that he doesn't know who he can trust anymore. Uh, He doesn't know what he stands for. But in that elevator scene, as he's clearly deduced that these people are here to, to capture him, he politely asks them, does anybody want to get off? That's grace that he's extending before, like that chance to do the right thing before it breaks loose is such a pivotal Captain America moment. Mm-hmm. And I love it. But it, it's it's such a good way to break the tension too, because like, you know, something's going down. Rumlow has a terrible poker face. Cap knows something's going down and you're just waiting like, okay, what's going to happen? What's, what's it going to be? Like, what's, what's the trigger, you know? And and Cap's just like, okay, we're doing this. And, you know, um, in fact, you know what? I, I changed my mind. Cap's the aggressor. If he wouldn't have asked that, they would have just, you know, <laughs> and they felt scared because like, they're all, dude, we're in the elevator. We're going down to forensics and then Cap all of a sudden out of nowhere is like, hey, anybody want to get off? And you're like, oh my gosh, he's going to go off on us. So let's get him first. I think Cap was the bad yeah. guy in this scene. Yeah. He- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because before that moment, everybody's like, no, you move first. <laughs> uh, that Cap is essentially the person that let the arrow fly at the Battle yeah, of Helm's right? Team. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. By the end of this, are we just going to realize that Captain America's the villain? Yes. Don't yes. you dare. Don't you dare. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, you know what? Again, and I'll go ahead and say this now. I'll have more to explain as we get into later acts of this movie. But to me, I think whenever Captain America stories are working at their highest potential, it is when they are treating the shield as its own character. Yeah. And so... I talked about that in the apartment scene where, you know, that's him picking it up. Bucky stops it and throws it back to him. You're not ready for this. I like that the shield doesn't get to get used here that much. It is kind of quickly taken away from him. He takes the 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 elevator out and then that he has that cool moment where he kicks it back up to his arm and the escape continues and he uses it. Basically like cut the cord to make the to make the lift, the elevator fall down. Yeah, he does that and then he uses it as a way to break his fall when he falls. But the the moment I'm thinking of particular is like after he takes out that Quinjet, the way that he comes crashing down and slams into the ground and does that cool, you know, poser move where he kind of looks off to the side past the camera. It just feels like such a great declaration of like this shield is me now. 
Like, I have reclaimed this from the capital S shield, and I'm going to use it for what it is that I think is the moral thing to do. Um, and so, I, I don't know, it just it felt like a moving story piece there within the actual story that they're telling. No, I think you're spot on. Um, well, I know you're spot on, because you, get, you keep going back to the commentary. Please listen to the commentary when you're done with our pod. When you're done with our pod, <laughs> go check out the commentary. Ours um, first. <laughs> but, but they said that, 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 if I remember right, they said they wanted to, to, to really emphasize in the use of the shield. And I don't remember, yeah, in, in Captain America First Avenger or uh, the First Avengers film, him using the shield other than just like throwing it. You know, and, and here they got really creative, like you said, the, with not just the use in the apartment, but the ways in which he was able to utilize the shield. Um, and this is the first place where we see it. And, and that was an intentional choice and something that the writers and directors wanted to do. And again, the, it's a whole suspension of disbelief, but I'm that, that they're asking, right? But it wasn't difficult to do because they did it so well. You know, I, I want to circle back to what you were saying about how you mentioned that elevator fight feels believable the thing that i kept finding myself coming in conflict was stepping back and thinking okay this is a little un not even realistic it's asking you to to look Mm -hmm. away a bit but because we are centered in a superhero world this fantastical nature of 10 guys going against one or uh nick fury going through this car chase and and doing all these destructions like it is so over the top but in comparison to some of the other things we've seen the mcu do it does feel more grounded and so it's 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 an interesting balance that they're finding and doing some over-the-top stuff but in a way that feels um human well and you see it again it's it's the russo brothers choice in in directing and filmmaking to go to that handheld tight close-ups for the action and we're doing winter soldier so i don't i don't want to get too far down the show but like for me there was a distinct difference when you're watching civil war where where i feel like you can watch it and there's a point where it's like why did you change what they're doing uh, meaning you still have that kind of that handheld close action, but then here, then all of a sudden it changes and you kind of get that standard wide shot. You can see everything and watch them fight. Um, and, and I don't know why they made that, that intentional change of choice. I haven't listened to that commentary yet, actually. Uh, but I'm sure it's just as good. Um, no, I actually have listened to that one. It's just been years because um, I it was like first thing I did when I got the DVD. But I think that's part of what makes it that that feel real and believable is because we're up close. Yeah, I, I can't speak too much because a lot of times when it comes to the actual style of filmmaking, that's a that's an area of weakness for me and why I love doing this because of the way you pointed out. But I can't speak to Civil War, but. Uh, what it does here, it, it has that frenetic energy to it. And uh, and it's something we've lauded before and something that I've talked about why I was so excited about Shang-Chi is that physical hand-to-hand nature uh, that we don't get enough of in the MCU. Um, and and then we've had some pretty good examples of it here within this movie that the, what we've covered so far, but really in that elevator scene feels like just the next level of where we started on that boat scene. Oh, yeah. 
So the next place we go to after Steve has escaped from S.H.I.E.L.D. and has now been deemed a fugitive on the run uh, is he goes to retrieve the USB that Nick Fury entrusted to him that he hid in the hospital. And lo and behold, Natasha is the one who got to it before him. What did you think of this scene of them together as they're poking at who it is they can trust? First initial thought is actually, I think this scene is a standout of the chemistry between Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson. This scene actually now brings me slight disappointment feelings. Um, but it is what we, what we talked about earlier that learning how to trust each other and be friends, so to speak, um, rather than just, Hey, we work together. And so, yeah, so like this scene is, um, you know, like that, those are the things kind of mine. And honestly, again, hindsight or watching it now, the disappointment is, you know, she describes how Winter Soldier shot her. And that was something I was hoping to see like in a flashback in the Black Widow movie. Oh, yeah. And so, and so now seeing it here, that, that honestly was the first thing that came to mind is like, oh, And, you know, it's they even talk about it on the commentary track where they wanted to like they had this more elaborate history that they had together that they just didn't get to delve into. Um, So, yeah, I I can see it being a bit of a shame that we never got to it, which speaks to the horrible discredit the MCU has done to Natasha and not giving more of her stories. But um, yeah, because 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 when you don't give that, you know, just a quick thought, but like when you don't give that, like it's now more winter soldier story than hers you know mm-hmm. and it's again it's like well we need that story to serve a purpose of building up winter soldier not adding depth to natasha you know you did frame this as this is the beginning of them moving from being friends because we work together into okay we are we are friends because of who we are and what we like about the things that we stand for um you know, I, I like how it starts with this common goal of they together need to solve Fury's murder. And the thing that I think stood out to me that I, I found just such a fun irony, I guess, in the narrative is that the thing that gets Steve to trust Natasha is Natasha admitting that she only pretends to know everything. And the thing that's that's interesting to me about that is part of who she is, part of her skill set is that deception. And so the fact that in that moment of vulnerability, Steve is able to trust her in in her revealing she doesn't really know, you know, 10 steps ahead. I thought that was just a a, a beautiful exchange between them that uh, speaks to the chemistry that the actors had. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, we have decided that this is going to be the first part of what is now a two-part discussion of The Winter Soldier. Definitely because of it being one of my favorite movies, I've had a lot to say. Jude, I I know you've had a lot to say. So rather than- Look, you texted me and you were like, I'm two minutes in and have six pages of notes. I subsequently texted Tara- later that night and i said we're recording our winter soldier review tomorrow and i have to let you know i'm 41 minutes into the movie and i have 18 pages of notes to which she said i'm down for a three plus hour episode of winter soldier or you have to post your notes online and all that to say i have finished my notes at 30 pages you are I 
let's say this because those notes are going to have to end up somewhere. They might. I I I might share them somewhere if people are interested. Socials, Discord, somewhere. Let us know. Yeah. I, I tell you what. If people want to see my notes, tweet at us or Instagram at MCU Need to Know. Uh, enough people ask. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. share them somewhere. But I'll I'll leave it this because this is uh you know this movie is very important to me, and because of Shang Chi, I've been doing a lot of really reevaluating of my top five. And I've even talked with you like there these these movies are super close to me in a way that goes beyond being just Marvel movies. Um, the experience of doing a watch for podcast prep, I think reinvigorated watching in a way that I haven't felt before. And I'll be honest because I've talked about it. I cry easy when it comes to movies. It doesn't even have to be like a sad moment. Like if a movie is just really, really good, I start crying. Don't know why. Just do it. it because you should, because you're invested and the creators did their job to, they were to make you feel something. Yeah. And I did that in this and I haven't felt that in a long time watching Winter Soldier because I have watched it a lot. And so getting to do this made me so happy. And I think that is what led to 30 pages of notes. That's awesome. That is amazing. (laughs) That is amazing. Right. And I knew going in, like, I'm going to have to sit back and just let Trey go. Like, like I knew, I knew. (laughs) So, so yeah. So, yeah. So rather than trying to rush through to get this into a one part, uh, we are going to go ahead and do this as a two part uh, coverage. So we'll put a pause on it here. Jude, I'm going to turn to you before we go. If somebody's listening to this and they've decided, you know what, I'm going to watch Winter Soldier this weekend. What is something you think they need to zone in on as they go through the parts that we haven't covered yet? The the first thing that comes to mind from my notes is going to be. I didn't pick up on it before. I, I'm sure somebody else has picked up on it. There's some interesting, like, philosophical questions that came to mind with the existence of Arn and Zola. And seeing where we're at culturally now with technology. Um, like, you know, earlier we just joked about, like, Cat being the bad guy kind of, kind of thing. But there is an irony of, like, we're soldiers awesome yeah you can't track us like that and like hey i'm sitting in my living room doing this and tagging where i'm at and like freely giving away the information um that all this personal stuff and and so there's an irony to me there um and so thinking about those things um as what hydra is trying to accomplish and what what captain america's argument against hydra is Especially in that in kind of scene speech he gives. Yeah, that's good. I like that a lot. So, you? Anything to zone in on? Nah. Just just enjoy it. <laughs> just shut up and cry. Just enjoy it. Bring the tissues. Get your popcorn <laughs> and the tissues ready. No salt or butter because you get that in the eyes. It's going to suck. Oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I had to sum it up, I would do this. You know, so much of the discussion that I've had is talking about the ways they have found making Steve Rogers interesting and changing internally and really having to question who he is. The thing that I think the second half of the movie does really well is not only does it get Steve to a point of resolve of who he is, it continues that track of Captain America inspiring the best out of others. And there's so many instances in which that happens. But the thing that I I want to keep in mind is 
how this is just as much Black Widow's story as it is Captain America's. And the way that plays out within the second half of the film, I think, is really important to look in on. So uh, there's a lot of characters where this takes place, but Natasha and Steve in particular are two ends of a spectrum of a modern world that I think is that stands out to me the more and more that I watch it. Yeah, that's awesome. In fact, I'm going to go rewatch it this weekend and focus in on that. (laughs) Well, fantastic. Well, you know what? If that's you as well, you can always let us know at MCU Need to Know, both on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, We've been doing a lot of work to put up extra content. Uh, We've been doing new things such as kind of doing quizzes for the movies that we're covering i think that's something we're going to try and do so if for example we do civil war next if you're on our social media we're going to have some posts that have fun trivias fill in the quotes and things of that nature so if you want to get in on the fun make sure that you're following us at mc need to know on twitter and instagram and of course scroll down to the bottom of the show notes click on the discord let us know if you want to see trey's notes uh let us know cat dog person was fury crazy um and a couple of other fun things in there um, that all of us love to talk about, other movies, games, all kinds of stuff. Make sure when you get there to click on the roll assign, click on the eye emojis so you can get access to all the spoiler channels. And of course, to really help us out, leave a rating review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or whatever place you're listening to podcasts that accepts those things. And of course, share with your friends yeah we'd also like to thank nick sandy for the use of our theme song which is his rendition of the avengers theme you can find more of his work on the soundcloud which is linked in the show notes as well well that's gonna do it thank you so much for listening and jude thank you so much for doing this thank you trey we'll see you all next week Boom. That's the first half. <laughs> All right, you ready All for right. the second part? <laughs> that might that, that might be our intake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want to rush this, so we're going to go ahead and call it here. Immediately <laughs> jumps right into it. <laughs> oh, oh, man. That was fun.